Rest 
glad all is well tonight because of him. Let's uh, put it in E flat. We'll speed it up just a little bit here. Let's sing that song, I've Got My Mind Made Up. I'm having to sing a little bit lower tonight, so y'all just pray for me. I've got my mind made up, and I won't turn back, cause I want to see my Jesus someday. I've got my mind made up, and I won't turn back. Cause I want to see my Jesus someday. So goodbye world, I say so long to you. And goodbye pleasures of sin, I say so long to you. I've made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. I've made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. So I've got my mind made up and I won't turn back because I want to see my Jesus someday. I've got my mind made up and I won't turn back Cause I want to see my Jesus someday. So goodbye world, I say so long to you. Goodbye pleasures of sin, I say so long to you. I made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. I made up my mind. Go God's way the rest of my life. Goodbye world, so goodbye world. I say so long to you, and goodbye pleasures of sin. I say so long to you, I made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. I've made up my mind. To go God's way the rest of my life. Amen. Let's put it in F and let's sing that song, um, Fill My Way. So fill my way every day with love as I walk with the heavenly dove. Let me with a song and a smile Fill my way every day with love And let me walk, blessed Lord, in the way Thou hast gone, leading straight to the land above Giving cheer everywhere to the sad and the lone Fill my way every day with love. So fill my way every day with love. As I walk with the heavenly dove, let me go all the while with a song and a smile. Fill my way every day. 
side of my Savior and guide, and we never in darkness roll. Keep my path free from wrath, and my soul satisfied. Fill my way every day with love. So fill my way every day with love as I walk with the heavenly dove. And let me go all the while with a song and a smile. Fill my way every day with love. And soon the race will be o'er. And I'll travel no more, but abide in my home above. And let me sing, blessed King, all the way to the shore. So fill my way every day with love. And fill my way every day with love. As I walk with the heavenly dove And let me go all the while With a song and a smile Fill my way every day with love So fill my way every day with love As I walk with the heavenly dove Let me go all the while With a song and a smile Fill my way every day with love Amen. We'll go ahead and change the order here real quick. Let's sing that song, He Touched Me. Oh, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. And something happened. And now I know he touched me. Joy that flows. 
just remember them in prayer. I also have here that um, Troy Hughes has a heart test uh, coming up, or is they are currently happening. So if we uh, could just remember him in prayer. I also have here that uh, Sister Connie's niece, uh, the funeral is tomorrow evening at 3 p.m. So if we could just remember her and the family in prayer. And also, if we could just uh, remember Sister Sarah Buchanan, my mom. She is not, or she is not feeling well this evening, and is also uh, just having some issues at work. So, if you could just remember her, and also Dad, who is away working and uh, was caught in some pretty bad storms this evening. So, if you could just remember him in prayer. Uh, that's all the requests I have here. Uh, just uh, any unspoken prayer requests by the lifting of your hands. And if I could have Brother Mark come this evening and pray over these requests at this time. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful to be in your house tonight, Lord, and gathered together with saints of like precious faith, Lord. With one goal and one destiny, Lord, we we thank you for that, Father. Lord Jesus, our desire tonight, Lord, is to hear from you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you're you welcome here, Lord. And anything that you would do, Lord, would be perfect, Father. For we know your will is perfect, Lord. And we know everything will be in accordance to your word. We pray, O oh Lord, help us to line up with that, Lord, that we may be acceptable unto you, Father. 
For only if we are in your will, if we obey your word, that we are in your will, Father. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, and all our iniquities, Father. Wash us in your blood. Cleanse us from all iniquity, Lord. Or that, Lord, things maybe that we, we don't know of, Lord, bring it to our remembrance through the preaching of your word, Father. Point out those things where we need to, to clean up, Lord, and, 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 and be more diligent, maybe, Lord, and sincere in serving you, Father. Lord, we pray for these, Lord, that was mentioned. We pray that you'll you'll touch them, Lord, the Whitlocks. We pray you'll touch our brother, Lord, and the tests he's waiting on. I pray everything, Lord, will come back, Lord, and be well. I pray for Sister Connie, Lord, that you'll comfort our family, Lord. Many times we struggle for words to say, Lord, but I guess like the old saint said, Lord, the Lord give it, the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Father, the void that's left in the hearts of these, Lord, because of the loss of a loved one, we pray that you will fill it, Lord. Grant it, Lord. And every request, uplifted hand, Lord, you see what they are. We pray that you will attend to them, Lord, and answer, Father. We give thee glory and praise, Lord. We love you. And Lord, as we, the preacher comes, we pray you will take control, Father, and do your perfect will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may have your seats. Um, put it back in D, and we'll sing a couple of songs in that key. I don't have any specials again this evening, so we'll just uh, sing a few before Brother Barry comes. Let's put the uh, song up, I Have a Maker. I have a maker. Oh uh... 
that falls And he hears me when I call So surely the presence of the Lord is in this place I can feel his mighty power grace I can hear the brush of angels wings I see glory on each face so surely the presence of the Lord is in this place of the Lord is in this place I can feel His mighty power and His grace and I can feel the brush of angels' wings I see glory on each Master, 
here so I'll just tell that here really quickly before we hand it over Um, I missed that brother John is at home this evening not feeling well so if we could just remember him we worship you in spirit and in truth we
in spirit and in truth. We worship in spirit and in truth. We have Before we go to prayer, three prayer requests that I'd like you to remember. Number one, Brother Joel Franklin lost his mom this uh, Sunday night. Uh, he had gone to visit her over in California. She had uh, advanced Alzheimer's and she passed away. Sister Karen Pruitt is in um, the hospital, as uh, you know, and we've been mentioning. She's been unresponsive uh, for over a week now. She does not respond to any commands or uh, verbal stimulation at all. Uh, she's not on life support, but Brother Tim told me, he said, we are praying for a miracle. That's what we need. Uh, as most of you know, the virus, uh, uh, the variant uh, surfaced uh, in different churches. There's some uh, camps that have been uh, closed down or, or postponed uh, over in Johnson City, they're not having church tonight, and there are several of folks over there, several families that have been hit very, very hard. Uh, tonight, Brother Tim Arrowood uh, is in hospital. Uh, he's in serious condition. Uh, he, was, he has double pneumonia, and uh, he's on full strength of oxygen. He's not on a ventilator, but he's on the full strength of oxygen. And um, we've been asked to remember him in prayer. Brother Tim was uh, here not long ago, and certainly... Uh, want to hold him up in prayer this evening. With these three and any requests that you have, let's look to him this evening in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads together, Lord, and we think about the members of your bride that are gathered all over the world tonight, Lord, in many countries and many languages, Lord, and many people that are reaching out to you simultaneously, bringing different kinds of requests to you. And, Lord, the situation in many countries, Lord, I know in Africa this virus, Lord, is causing the death of many. And, Lord, the cries that must be coming to the throne tonight must be great, must be loud. But yet, Lord, we, we understand from your word and from the teaching of a prophet that, Lord, you're never overwhelmed. You can never be overwhelmed by the volume or by the multitude of requests that you get. But you're a God who sorts through it all. You're a God who has answers for everything that is asked. Lord, you have enough healing virtue for all. We really don't understand that, but we do believe it. Somehow or another, Lord, we believe it and we trust in your healing power. We trust, Lord, that when we make a petition among many in the world who are doing the same thing, that you hear our voice, you hear our cry, that's an extraordinary thing. It's even more extraordinary when we think that you can hear a cry that we don't even speak out of our mouth, but is buried deep within our hearts. We don't really understand that, but we do believe it. 
So tonight, Lord, we bind these requests before you in faith and believe, Lord, that you hear us. And Lord, for Brother Joel Franklin, mourning the loss of his mom, and for Sister Karen Pruitt, Lord, a very precious and dear sister who loves you and, Father, has served you all of her life. And now, Lord, in this life, she's not responding at all, and that's not like her. So, Father, we commit her to you now and pray that your mercy would extend to her. There are people, Lord, gathering around her bed as the hospital permits and, Lord, praying for her. But we want to join and add in our prayer as well and and just ask, Lord, that you be gracious and merciful. Meet every need, Lord, in that situation. Lord, we think of Brother Tim tonight in the hospital. And, Father, Brother Tim is a person who certainly if he had his choice, he'd be in church tonight. He'd He'd be with the saints. And I pray tonight that you would just minister to him mightily. That God, you would undertake for him, for him and Sister Connie, all the children, Lord, and we bind them together. We put our arms around them, and in faith we ask in the name of Jesus that you would just minister to them and minister to him. We curse this disease, Lord. We know it doesn't come from you. We curse it in the name of Jesus and for all the trouble it has caused. We ask, Lord, that you be merciful and mindful of those that are suffering tonight. And Lord, I ask also a special prayer that you'd protect us as we gather here tonight. Have your way, we pray. We never, ever want to throw your mercy and your grace back in your face. Never, ever want to have an attitude of taking it for granted. So come, Lord Jesus, I pray, and just minister and move on behalf of these needs. And Lord, bless this service tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, and for your glory, we ask these things. Amen. And amen. God bless you. Just take your Bibles tonight. Let's go to Ephesians, the fifth chapter again, if you will. And uh, thank you, musicians. Thank you, Mitchell. Ephesians 5 and verse 33. The last verse of the chapter reads like this. Nevertheless, let every one of you, so this is all of us, in particular, so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Every one of you, in particular, so love his wife. What does that mean? May God add his blessing. You may be seated tonight. It's good to gather in the house of the Lord and uh, appreciate the comments on having Brother Rap Crook here uh, this weekend. It was certainly a blessing, and uh, it was a blessing especially to our young people. I wish... I had recorded that, uh, but it was uh, wonderful nonetheless, and uh, trust it'll be a, something that young people can lay hold of and, and uh, use in their life. I have a number of people who are not here tonight, but we are all, we're always glad when you're here, and uh, appreciate you making the effort and coming down uh, to be with us uh, this evening here. So um, I wanted to uh, jump right in and deal with this. Uh, subject here again on Shalom in the Home, and we're dealing with uh, the subject of marriage. Brother Branham makes this statement, 1965, help us this morning to take corrections from the Spirit and the Word that we might prepare ourselves as we move away from the doors this morning, determined in our heart to live a better life than we have in the past. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. The, uh, the times that we live in, uh, Satan is doing everything he can to throw whatever he can 
at God's people to try to hinder our gathering and to hinder uh, the progress of God's people. And uh, for the next three weeks, you ought to buckle up. We're going to have a surge, and we're going to see some uh, activity in our area here in our state, and uh, hopefully then uh, things will calm down a little bit, but for the next three weeks. And so I say this to you that uh, what I would say to anyone else, that if you have symptoms, uh, you ought to stay home and get checked out because uh, we certainly don't want to spread things here in the, in the assembly if we possibly can. And uh, we'd like to avoid that. But uh, we, we know it's real, and uh, some folks are certainly uh, affected by uh, this new round of the variant that's here. But there are uh, some meetings that are scheduled. Some have been canceled, I've heard. Some uh, pastors have discouraged their young people from going uh, to gathering and meetings. And uh, so you just want to be, uh, certainly be prayerful and be led uh, in what you're doing and check things out. Uh, because we live in funny times. But like I say, Satan would like to do whatever he can. He's working overtime to try to hinder progress of God's people. But as for us, you know, being gathered here, uh, we want to gather and prepare our hearts. That's the, that's the whole uh, thrust or the whole idea. We want to prepare ourselves as we, uh, as we come to every service and glean a little, learn a little, appropriate a little so that we can apply it and uh, not just hear it, but apply it in our lives and uh, begin to move forward. And I trust that's your attitude tonight. I think if you have that kind of an attitude, God can deal with you. God can fill your cup. God can uh, supply things that you have need of because, uh, you know, it's amazing. Even in an assembly this size, God can discern uh, the needs of every heart and know exactly how to supply that. Uh, so everyone walks away feeling like they got something. And that's, that's only, that could only be the work of the Holy Spirit. He's just amazing at doing that. And so uh, we defined a Christian family. I'm going to do very little review here, and I want you to jump in tonight. I want to uh, deal with something I've been bringing to the pulpit here for a long time. Uh, a Christian family is a group of people who are related to each other through marriage, birth, or adoption and are committed, first and foremost, to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They're committed to God and then faithfully witnessing to the love, power, and forgiveness of God. So they're committed and they're bound to one another, but they're committed first to Christ, and that's what makes a successful uh, Christian family. But we want to focus a little bit on the subject of marriage here, and uh, as we have pictured this Christian family, everybody has a position, everybody has a biblically defined role, everybody has a place and an accountability within that role uh, to fulfill things that God requires. So uh, the way Brother Branham put it, he said that, uh, you know, when something goes squirrely in a house, something goes wrong in a house, God's going to deal with that man. He's going to deal with that husband because he's the physical head of that house. And even if he's not in his right position, God's going to deal with him because he is supposed to be in that position uh, in the house. Now, um, <clears throat> I'm... Uh, I don't, want to get, I don't want to get distracted here this morning. So in the, uh, in the book of Genesis chapter uh, 1 and verse 26, as we read, uh, God was made in the image of God, and he was commanded to be fruitful, to multiply and replenish the earth, but he's also to have dominion over it. And in that, uh, in, as we define those words, uh, it, is an important, it is an important expression that God had. This is what was in the mind of God. Uh, that he wanted a world that was populated with people that reflected him, that bore his image, if you like. He didn't, want, uh, he didn't want all of creation to look like him. He wanted one particular facet of that creation to be like him, to stand in his image, because a giraffe doesn't stand in the image of God. 
And a sloth does not stand in the image of God. And certainly a buffalo doesn't. But God, when he designed man, he looked at him and created him uh, in such a way that he would reflect uh, who God is and what God is. And he placed him in the Garden of Eden and then gave him responsibilities. He never gave the other creatures any responsibilities at all. But he did give Adam the right to, uh, to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. All creation is commanded or built in such a way to be fruitful. But they do not all have dominion as God created it back in the beginning. So now, remember, God has a definition. God has a way of doing things. Whenever you hear the term, uh, the modern definition, or uh, when we talk about uh, something in, in modern terms, that's usually a signal that there's a cultural shift going on and there's a redefinition of something that we always held sacred. Right? Whenever there's a redefinition of something, it means that somebody is discarding uh, parts of a definition and adopting new parts. So the definition of marriage has taken quite a beating over the last little while. I'm here, and I'm doing this series, and I feel uh, impelled, uh, compelled to do this series because I want to preserve and maintain the old definition of marriage and what it really means in the, in the biblical sense. Okay? Now, I realize, I realize that uh, young people uh, today are growing up in a world that's very different than the world I grew up in, in a world of four or 500 years ago. I realize that. I realize that most of you, uh, the major, all you young people that are here, grew up in a world that always had the Internet. Now, I, I, I know the difference. I know I, I was in the world when it wasn't there, but I was, I'm older than Al Gore. So I know what it's like to be in the world. But, I, I, for instance, I've never lived in the world without it having television. It always had television. Even when we were little rascals, we had, uh, you know, it was, it was invented, we had it. So I, I, I understand that, that, you know, you, we live in a world, so we have to deal with it. We can't just say it doesn't exist. It does exist. Uh, you know, social media exists and the Internet exists and, uh, you know, the advances in technology exist. We can't ignore them. We can't put our head in, our, in the hole and say it doesn't matter. It, it does matter. And God would never have left us here in this last day unless he had given us the discernment and the tools to be able to navigate around and through and over all the obstacles that are in this world, no matter what form they're in. God would not, hey, listen, God would not have left us here if we were to be destroyed by something that Satan had developed in our world, right? I believe God would have t- taken us out of here before. The fact that we're still here means that we can overcome whatever it is that uh, is found in this world. Whatever it is that exists in this world, somehow or another, we've got the capacity to overcome that. Because in every age, we are called, believers are called to be overcomers. Do you believe that? You've got, you got to trust that. You've got to believe that. So uh, we, are, we are called to be overcomers in every age. And that includes this age, obviously. So the definition that I read here uh, uh, is a, just an excerpt from this article. I put the link on the bottom. If anybody wanted to look at it there, it's really not worth reading. Uh, because it's her rant about what modern marriage really is. Isn't marriage supposed to be about putting the relationship first? Well, a Christian family puts God first, and a Christian marriage puts God first. Right? Or can we say it this way? A Christian puts God first. A teenager, a Christian teenager puts God first. And whatever God's standards are, hey, we're going to put that first. Whatever God's ambition for me and God's will is for me, we're going to put that first. 
Uh, that's the way a Christian thinks. So a Christian family is going to put God first. A Christian marriage is going to put God first. That's going to be, that relationship is, is uh, absolutely the most important one. So the, the definition in her, in her writing, this is uh, this uh, Ms. Parker Pope, uh, she said, isn't marriage supposed to be about putting the relationship first? Well, not anymore. I'd like to know who gives her the authority to terminate what God established 6,000 years ago. So uh, these social scientists who feel like we can rework it all. She has a right. Listen, she has a right to her own opinion, but she doesn't have a right to truth. She can't redefine truth and call it truth just because she wants it to believe that, that that's true. It may be her opinion, and everybody's got a right to that, but you don't have a right to the facts. Right? In every, in every measurable uh, context, a Christian, a, a Christian family, a family that has mom and dad and a marriage that's intact, family that's intact, is better for society than all the other options that are out there. And we know that all other families, you know, can run in, all families can run into trouble and they have difficulties and there's death and sickness and, and sometimes there's divorce and all the other things that go on. But in general, when we hold to the way that God intended it and God created it, the world is a better place than it is if we come up with all these other creative solutions that they're coming up with. But the, the amazing thing is that these are people with a good ability to write. That's all it is. They're not basing this on fact. They're basing this on what their opinion is about where the culture is going. Well, hey, I got a little bit of insight that I'd like to add to her commentary, and that is this. The, the, the culture is going to hell. So Bonhoeffer in, the, in World War II uh, stated it this way, and I think it's worth restating again tonight if you don't mind. Marriage is more than your love for each other. Marriage is more than your love for each other. It has a higher dignity and power, for it is God's holy ordinance through which he wills to perpetuate the human race till the end of time. That's, that's embedded in Genesis 1.26, as you should be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. That is done through the relationship that we call marriage, that's what Bonhoeffer is saying here. In your love, you see only your two selves in the world. But in marriage, you are a link in the chain of the generations which God causes to come and to pass away to his glory and calls into his kingdom. In your love, you see only the heaven of your own happiness. But in marriage, you are placed at a post of responsibility towards the world and mankind. Your love is your own private possession. But marriage is more than something personal. It is a status. It is an office. So if I'm a married man, I've got certain boundaries that I have to live within. I have certain responsibilities that I have to fulfill. If I'm a father, I've got a certain job to do in raising my children. I have tried to be a favor to all females, uh, you know, of a certain age group in the, in the world by raising my boys to a certain standard so that they, when they became husbands, they would, uh, their wives would appreciate that. I was working on behalf of these girls out there, and I hope they, I know they always, they appreciate that. I know they do. Just as it is the crown, not merely the will to rule that makes the king. It is not just the crown, but the will to rule that makes the king. Just as, Can I say it again? Just as it is the crown, and not merely the will to rule that makes the king, so, is it, so it is marriage, and not merely your love for each other, that joins you together in the sight of God and man. 
So let me tell you something. The vow that we make to one another, the commitment that we make to one another, the, the commitment that we make to our family is a really, really important thing. And it's really important that we don't let anything get between the things that we make a commitment to. Now, Brother Branham describes this back in 1964, and he talks about the problems that we see in society. And look, he's only looking at it in an infant stage back in 1964, but he said it was the things that people should have stayed with that got away from. You know what the problem was? The church didn't drive the stake down hard enough. Because the church, in a sense, was still a place of respect in 1964. Things were changing, but the church should have been, and you can find many, many statements where Brother Branham reinforced this, that the church should have been the voice, like uh, John the Baptist out crying in the wilderness and establishing the, the morals, the moral boundaries and the, uh, the, the commandments and the things that were obviously right. Even if they had doctrine, doctrine different, they should have established things there. But he said, no, he said they did not speak out against that woman who uh, tried to abolish uh, prayer in the schools. And they did not get away from trying to look like Jackie Kennedy. And they did not speak out against all the modern fashions of Hollywood. And now all of a sudden we have TV and all the fashions are broadcast in an instantaneous way. He said they did not cry out against those things. So we moved away from the standard that God had raised and people respected for a long time. People got away from it. Let me tell you, it's really hard to get that genie back in the bottle. It's really hard to get a people to turn back to a standard after they've gotten away from it. Now, the born again always will. But in general, here's Brother Branham. He's crying out against it here, and he's trying to make people aware of it, that, uh, you know, what they're allowing on TV, what they're allowing on media here is evidence of where Satan's going. And what's really disappointing is to see where the church is going. Right? It's, it's, it's obvious where Satan's trying to take everybody. And it's really disappointing to see that the church does not identify it and cry out against it and move back to a better position. Move back to a position of defense so they can cry out against it and they can be a voice crying in the wilderness there. Let me tell you, it's not that a handful of ministers are going to turn the culture around, but I believe this. When you have a man like John the Baptist who's in the hands of God, he can affect a whole nation by his message of, uh, you know, come out of her, my people, and repent and be baptized. John the Baptist moved a whole nation when he did that, just like Jonah moved a whole city when he went into there, right? It's not the man himself with the powerful voice, but it's God behind that voice that makes a difference. I was in my favorite grocery store the other day and I was at the counter and uh, I was just minding my own business as I always do when I'm in my favorite grocery store and I walked up and began to put things on the belt you know and just just helping out and a woman says to me she's an older woman she's old enough to be my mother and uh, she's worked there she she's uh, she's known the boys over the years and uh, she just said to me uh, how are you doing today and I said doing fine that's all I said doing fine she goes like this, whoa. She says, you, you have such a radio voice. She said, you should be, she said, you should be on TV or radio or something. She said, it's just amazing how, how your voice is tailored for broadcast. She said, what do you do? And I said, I felt like saying, well, you know, I said, I'm a pastor. Ah, oh, figures, that figures, you know. And she said, Where, where's your church? And I said, Hickory, North Carolina. And people are... Okay, don't get it. All right. But it, let me tell you, it's not the voice 
It's God behind the voice that makes the difference in, in someone like Noah. It's, the, it's God behind the voice in John the Baptist. And so you can have one man that affects an entire nation. You have one man that affects an entire region, not because of numbers, but because of anointing. And here's Brother Branham crying out against a culture that is gradually moving away. And he said that Satan's way of gradually moving in. And there's a gradual shift that's going on. But gradual shifts become permanent shifts unless they are attended to. Right? Listen, in every home, we have to watch the shift and watch to see how things are going. We're going to allow, all of a sudden, we're going to allow certain things. We're going to allow sports to be there. We're going to allow uh, certain things to be a part of the family. Or we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to buy a TV. Or we're going to do something else. You've made a shift. You better be prepared for the consequences of every shift. And you better think out those shifts because it'll make a difference in the lives of those you're responsible for. All right, so in my house, and David prayed, he said, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I've given you that scripture many times. And, and uh, Jeremiah 10, Jeremiah 10, I know that the way of a man is not in himself. It is not in a man that walketh to direct his steps. We'll never, we'll never really be able to fully do that because for one simple reason, and that is this, we don't know the future. And if you don't know the future, you don't always know what is the best step to take or what's the best decision. Should I take this job? Should I leave this job? Should I go to school? And so forth. Oh, Lord, correct me, but with, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. So Jeremiah is expressing the same thing that David is. We want to get it right. We want to get it perfect, but we need you to lead us because it's not within a man to find his own way, Right? So God places within a man abilities, but those abilities had to be channeled. Here they are. When you look in the Hebrew language, a parent, a teacher, and an instructor all have the same Hebrew construction. Trust me in this, and the letters here that are written, and the, uh, the, the word for father, and by the way, the parent, the word parent is a masculine noun. It's not masculine and feminine, it is masculine. And it means a master or a chief. A teacher is a leader and a guide. An instructor is a master educator and tutor. And all of those words are similar in their root construction in the Hebrew, meaning that when God expressed them, they're slightly different in the way that they are written. However, the meanings all kind of tie back together. That a father has the job of being the chief of the house, even if he's not good at it. A... A, man, a father is also a teacher. He's a leader and a guide in that family. He's got to be willing to go first. Uh, you know, when there are sounds downstairs, he's got to be willing to go down first. Right? All those guys down there with wrenches and guns and everything else, he's got to go down first. He can't say to the wife, honey, you get that, will you? A father is also an instructor, meaning that he has to empower and he has to bestow upon his children a, uh, a sense of responsibility, a sense of work, a sense of a spiritual relationship with God, a sense of the need of that. Uh, he also has to teach a, a, a boy how to uh, have, make a living, how, how to function in society, how to deal with people. Now, his wife, obviously, uh, his wife is built for a different purpose. But if they're brought together by God because they're intended to be together, let me tell you, they can complement each other. They're not the same. The roles are not the same, but they are meant to complement one another. 
And when a father and mother work together, in their, not only in their teaching, not only in their establishing of good spiritual priorities, and also in the discipline in the household. When they're together on that, the kids realize they have nowhere to turn. You know how they go in and ask dad? You know, hey dad. Uh, or they'll, my boys elected somebody to go in and say, hey dad. Who they felt was the favorite and the one that would be least likely to be rejected and refused. And knocked up the side of the head. And they would come in and say, Dad, would it be all right if we do this? And I'd say, well, yeah, it's okay, I guess. I mean, it's okay. You know, if you want to do that, if you want to buy a four-wheeler, yeah, it's all right. I guess it's all right. And they'd go in. They, they knew they'd have to ask Mom. They'd go in and ask Mom. And, and they'd say, hey, is it all right if we buy a four-wheeler? Absolutely not. But Dad said it was okay. And they knew exactly how to play one another off. All children do. And all the children said, They absolutely do. And when you bring grandparents into the picture, too, it gets a little bit more complicated and a little more tricky when they get into it. But nonetheless, when a a couple will stand together, and that's just a a funny example, uh, because that's one thing that my wife and I stood together on. But when you you, uh, stand together and you're working together and you've got the same vision for your family, you've got the same uh, boundaries, spiritual boundaries that are in place for your family, that are certain things we're not going to allow. There's certain things that we're not going to have in our household. There's certain things we're going to stand for within our house. Uh, There are certain things we're not going to participate in as a family. We're not going to do it. Or there are certain things we're going to participate in as a family and not just as an individual. Uh, That family is going to be stronger uh, in the long run. All right? Now, let's take another final step here and say that when the word Father God is used, and this is the Hebrew word for Father God, we find similar letters that are embedded in that name as well. So uh, trust me in this, and this is two words here, so when you, uh, uh, you, know, when you separate them, it, it, there's a little bit of a change here. And I can't, I can't uh, write Hebrew. I've, I've got to copy it, so it's a little bit funny. But nonetheless, Father God imparted to fathers things that were in himself. Father God imparted to fathers. Men did not just come up with this responsibility or this capability. God put it in them because it was in him. When you have it, you can give it. So isn't it true that he's our father God? He's the master and he's the chief. Isn't that true? Isn't he our leader and guide? Isn't he the educator and the tutor? Isn't he all of those things? Right? That's our God, right? So fathers have a little bit of that in, him, in them to be able to minister to their children because Father God has it, and fathers are a reflection of the role and purpose of God. Now, having said that, let's do a little lesson, all right? Stay with me. The earthly marriage here, the earthly marriage here is a type of a heavenly marriage. And the first thing in a natural marriage is a decision. That's the first thing. That's an important thing. And a young lady has to make her decision whether she wants this young man, the young man, whether he wants this young woman. She must be the only woman in the world that you love. And he must be the only man. If it isn't, then you made a wrong decision. If you made a decision based on other factors, then this is my one and only. That decision's not going to last. If you made a decision based on how this person makes you feel, 
you're going to want to make a change the moment you don't feel like you used to feel. Right? If this woman makes me... I, I, know, I know of couples. I, know, I can name their names. I know of couple, a, girl, a girl who married a guy because he made her laugh. She was kind of a miserable person. Kind of had a, you know, just kind of a... She's not a miserable person. But she had... Did I just say that? I shouldn't have said that. She was not a miserable person at all. But she was uh, a person who was very uh, 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 tense and had complexes and things like that. And she admitted, she said, I'm marrying this guy because uh, he makes me laugh. And I, I, I was not close enough to that situation to get my two cents in. I didn't even get one cent in. But I thought, wow, what's going to happen when she tires of his humor? And she did. Because he ran out of jokes. So if we marry for another reason outside of the will of God and the leadership of God, then those things are not going to, they don't have endurance. They don't have, uh, they don't have the right kind of commitment with them. Brother Bram says, same way it is in making a decision for Christ. There's no difference. The first thing you have to do is make up your mind whether you're going to serve God and to take him as your savior or you're not going to do it. So when you, uh, I, I tell people, I mean, I, I say these things many times, that when, when somebody comes and want to be baptized, I often ask them why. Why? Why now? What is it that happened that made you really feel like now you can't go on without it? If there's a compelling uh, experience, if there's a, uh, you know, a, a good answer there, let me tell you, that's, that's, that's a great sign. That's a good thing when they have a determination in their heart. And they just realize, hey, I, I'm a sinner. No way I'm going to make it. Uh, I just feel like the time is right and time is now. I don't want to go any further without him. And uh, those are the kinds of things that you want to hear. You don't want to hear some young person say, well, listen, everybody else is being baptized. And I thought it would be good. We'd save water. Ah, well, why don't you go on your way, you tree hugger? So let's take a look at this idea now. Remember now what Brother Branham says. He, he says that she must be the only woman in the world that you love. And he must be the only man. That's really an important statement. If it isn't, then you made a wrong decision. You need to be able to say that before you get married about this person. You need to be able to say it on your wedding day. You need to be able to say it five years after. And you need to be able to say it 50 years after. She's the only woman in the world I've really loved. And you're the only man that I've really loved. Glad I made the choice. Would do it all again if I could. Even with the bad, the good, and the indifferent, I'd do it all again. I tell my wife that all the time. If you don't feel that way, then you made a wrong decision. I think it would be a terrible thing to come down 25 years of marriage and say, now I'm convinced I made a wrong decision. What a terrible thing. It would, I don't know what that would be like. I, I think it would be a terrible thing. So this is important. The way that Brother Random said the decision is made is that she must be the only woman in the world that you love. Now what does that mean? Let's look at it together. Let's break it down. I'm going to review something I, I gave to you before. This, is, uh, th- this, this helps us here. This uh, study of the language helps us here. And I'm going to refresh your memory and I'm going to add some new parts here. Okay? So hold on. In the Greek, we have three words. There's actually uh, others as well that refer to the concept of love. We have the eros, we have the agape, and we have the filio, 
are all different meanings and all different ex, uh, you know, levels of, of love and affection for somebody. Let's go back a little bit further and let's look at the original meaning as, as God expressed it. The word love is, in the Hebrew, it's ahava, and it means to give. Love is about giving. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So love has an action to it, and this is what God did. He gave. The word Sheba also is a meaning for love and affection, and we find the same root here in the, uh, in the writing of the word, and, and uh, also we find a third meaning in the Hebrew language, which means uh, an obligation, and to give is hova, and it is, it is the idea of uh, we're not here to take from this. We're not here to get what we want from this. But when we love somebody, we're willing to go the extra mile. We're willing to give the cloak also. We're willing to do whatever we need to do to ensure that that person, uh, their need is met. And that's the general simplistic uh, definition of what love is in the Hebrew language. Now the problem is that we don't speak Hebrew. So when we look at a, a phrase like this, Deuteronomy 6 and 5, it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That is the commandment that's given to us. But it's written in English. When we write it in Hebrew, here's what it looks like. Now remember, from Hebrew, we read from the right to the left. So a Jewish person would uh, take a newspaper uh, like we would have, and they would flip it over and read from the back page right to the front. That's why I have a part of Jewish, Jewishness in me. I always do that. So this, this writing here is the, this sentence right here, and it's written from over here all the way back to this place. There's an interesting little construction that shows up in this sentence, and it's right here. It's what I'm going to refer to as an N and an X, and it's not an N and an X, but just so that we can identify what it is. This is not a word. This is not a phrase at all. All the rest of the, all of the other letters in that uh, sentence make up words, make up uh, different phrases. But that little NX there is not a word at all. There's no English translation of this little phrase. It means, it means in the Hebrew language, A to Z. It is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And when you put the two of them together, it's not, a, there's no meaning of a word in that translation, but it means intense, eternal, all-encompassing, all out. We're going all the way. That's what that little phrase means. So when Deuteronomy 6 and 5 was translated, it came from this sentence which said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thine heart, intensely, all-encompassing. You, you love God more than anything else. You love God more than anyone else. You love God more than yourself. It is all-encompassing. It is intense. It is eternal. There's nobody you love more than God. That, I'm just telling you what the commandment actually says. And in the Hebrew language, they put this little, uh, this little uh, construction in here, in, uh, the, the A to Z. They put that in there uh, to make sure that you get the sense from the sentence here that when it comes to loving God, you, you're going to love God with an intensity and a fervency and a desire that encompasses every part of your being. You're going to give God your all. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go with two arms and one leg. He went with all, didn't he? 
He gave it all on your behalf. He died all the way on your behalf. And when we commit our lives to Christ and go down in the pool of baptism, hey, we, we want to be all under that water. We want to die completely so that we can live anew in, a, in an intense, eternal, focused, on-purpose life for God. That A to Z is very important there. Let's go a little further. Here's what Brother Manham said in 1965, just for an example for you. He said, now, Lord, these people... Uh, I stood yonder in the mountains in Arizona and cried about it. And here they are, knelt around the altar with us tonight, praying, consecrating their lives. This is the end of the service. Uh, Brother Bam's noticing the people at the altar. And he cries out. He says, we love you, Father, more than our own lives. We love you more than our families. We love you more than wife, children, father, mother, sister, brother, husband, wife. We love you, Lord Jesus, and make that so real in our hearts. You know what that is? That's the A to Z. We love you with intensity. We love you with all of our heart. Lord, we're, and, and he's, he's, a, he's a Gentile, but he's got this sense of what real love for God really means. Is anybody out there with me? In the Bible, we find this example. The angel of the Lord called out to Abraham as he's standing there like this with a knife in his hand and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to him. For now I know thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. You must really love me with all of your heart to do this. And you've just proved it. This is not theatrics. This is not Abraham going like this. Is anybody around to stop me? He's doing this because it's better. We're always at our best when we obey God. Isn't that right? And here's Abraham. He's doing something he doesn't understand. He's doing something that seems to defy the promise, but he's got a relationship with God that's intense enough that he knew it was God who commanded him in the first place. And look, if God God gave me this son and told me out of this uh, son would come many stars and many sons and many branches of the family... I don't know how God's going to do it, but God will have to raise him up from the dead in order to fulfill the promise that he made about Isaac in the first place. So what I'm going to do is not try to figure it all out. I'm just going to walk in obedience to God because I love him. And God says, now I know you love me. This is intense, folks. This is all-encompassing. I'm willing to give up my only son. Matthew 23, they come to Jesus and they say, which is the greatest great commandment in the law? That's a pretty weighty question, really, when you think about it. What's the, what, what's the best, the greatest, the most important, significant commandment in the law? And Jesus doesn't answer. He doesn't say, hey, folks, you got the, you got the Old Testament, you got your scrolls, go back. It's all important. It's all the word of God. He doesn't say that at all. He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, A to Z. You shall love the Lord your God, NX, A to Z. Everybody, everybody with me? Deacons, lock the door. Somebody took my congregation. That's the first thing Jesus says. What's the great command? What is the significant and important command? What's the, most, what's the, what's the one thing we want to walk away from church today with? He says, here it is. Love, to God, love God with your A to Z. The second thing... This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
This is not the same thing, because we're not going to love our neighbor the same way we love God. But on these two commandments hinge all the law and the prophets. Exodus 20. Here's the commandments. And this is what Jesus is basing this on. When God goes up with Moses and chisels, and he spent the night chiseling because he knew Abraham, Moses was going to come up on the mountain there, he makes great, uh, he articulates the first commandment. Bear with me as we read it. When you go to the Christian bookstore and you buy an ornament, when you used to be able to go to a Christian bookstore and buy a, a, a stone replica of the tablets, right? The first commandment always is pretty brief, isn't it? You know, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Or however, thou shalt have no other gods before me. But when it's actually written, in the original version, here's what God said. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And in doing that, he says, thou shalt make unto thee, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything which is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I, the Lord God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations from them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Anybody unclear? God wants you to love him and have nothing between you and him. A to Z. God wants you to love him with all your heart. Don't come, don't come to church and say, well, we come to church. Well, anyone that's got two legs can come to church. I mean, I can go out, I could literally go out with money, with a roll of cash, and, and persuade a couple of hundred thousand homeless people to come to church, and they would come. Right? Being in church, though, really doesn't benefit anybody unless you are in harmony and in tune with God. Right? You're in a relationship with God. That's when church is really going to mean something to you. You have no relationship with God, then church is a drag. But this is what Jesus is referring to. The great thing is what God said first about commandments, and that is this. Is that you, you gotta love, love the Lord your God. That's what, that's what the essence of love is. And the first thing that love is, is a love for God, A to Z, but nothing between you and God in that relationship. Alright, let's go a little bit, a little step further now. Here's another commandment, Leviticus 19 in the Old Testament. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor or thy friend, that's what the meaning is, as thyself. Now, it's interesting. If this is your neighbor, and you're to love him. Same English word, but in the Hebrew, it's not the same word. Here's the writing of Leviticus 19 in Hebrew. And you know what we don't find in here is that NX. We don't find it anywhere in here because God doesn't want you to love your neighbor eternally, intensely, all-encompassing. He doesn't want you to love him the same way that you love God. The love for God is a special thing. It's on another level. The love for your neighbor is a different thing. He wants you to love your neighbor. And the idea of this kind of love actually means the actions that you would like to have done to you if the, if the, if the problem or the incident was reversed. So in other words, let's just say that uh, the, 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 your neighbor had a problem with his hand and he couldn't hold the axe. So he couldn't cut firewood. And if he couldn't cut firewood, then he couldn't cut uh, kindling to light the fire, to bake the bread, to feed the family. And so, man, you're over there, you're thinking, wow, you know what? 
My neighbor can't hold the axe because he's got a problem with his hands. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go over and I'm going to, I'm going to cut up some kindling for him. Come on, boys, let's go. We'll cut up the kindling for him and get the fire going for him because he can't do it himself. It's the actions you would do if the, if the situation was reversed. Because that's the same kind of thing. That's the same way I'd want you to treat me if I was in that situation, right? And mine is real. But we don't find the A to Z here. We don't find this all-encompassing, intense Abraham on Mount Moriah kind of a, a statement here. We don't find it there because even though it's the same English word, L-O-V-E, it's not the same in the original meaning that God had. Aha. Aha. That says to us that there are different levels of love, right? There's a love for God first on top. Then there's a love for your neighbor. A love for, hey, listen, I love my grandchildren in a way that I don't love you. Sorry. But they snuck in there, and I never even knew it existed. Nobody explained to me about a love of a grandfather, a love of a grandchild. Nobody told me about that. They snuck in there and just stole my heart and ran off with it and haven't given it back. It's an amazing thing. And I will tell you, it's a different love than you have for your, uh, for your children even. It's, it's just a really, really unique thing. There are different levels of love. Would you agree with that? All right, let's, let's look at it here. For God so loved the world. That is that NX there. It's the A to Z. That he gave his only begotten son. That's what he did. We also find husbands love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church. Gave himself for it. So should I love my wife equally as much as I love God? No. By definition, nobody gets the top spot but God. Would you agree? Nobody gets the top spot. But I will tell you this. The next spot belongs to my wife. The next spot is reserved for her. I really like this. This is written by John Gill. And John Gill was a really wonderful minister in the old days and centuries gone by in the 1700s. And this is what he wrote. Listen to what he said now in the context of our teaching tonight. Strong and cordial affection, real delight. He's commenting on Hebrews 5, all right? Strong and cordial affection, real delight, and pleasure in them, pleasure in your wife. Showing respect and honor, seeking their contentment, satisfaction, and pleasure in a quiet, constant, and comfortable dwelling, providing all things necessary for them, protecting them from all injury and abuse. You wives ought to be on your feet saying, listen to this, bozo. Sorry, I mean, listen to this, buddy. Hear what he's saying. It's a great, it is a great definition. Concealing their faults and covering their infirmities. Having the best opinion of their persons and actions. And endeavoring to promote their spiritual good and welfare. This love between a husband and wife ought to be hearty and sincere and not feigned, hypocritical, and selfish. It should be shown in private as well as in public. It should be chaste and single, constant and perpetual, and it should exceed that which is born to neighbors or even to parents, though not as to hinder and break in upon the love to God and Christ. That, my friend, is a great definition. And if you want to know what Ephesians 5 means, I found that to be the best definition 
that it should exceed the love for your neighbor and your coworkers and your buddies. And it should be right underneath, tucked in, but not breaking in upon your love to God in Christ. Wow. I think that's really great. All right, what does that mean? What does that mean? Let me tell you a couple of stories, then I'm going to quit. So just wake up, everybody. Listen to this. Brother Branham, in his early ministry, he's called into a situation that's really strange. I mean, this is really bizarre. If you think you've heard everything that the devil can do, I mean, some of the experiences Brother Branham had were absolutely extraordinary. He goes into this church, and this church's pastor's name is Reverend Brown. And uh, I don't know who Reverend Brown is, but it's a big church, and they got a big basement. And so he goes into this place, and, and Brother Brown says to Brother Branham, uh, listen, uh, between services, we got a special situation here. we got a, we got a person who's underneath the church in the basement, and they came here from an insane asylum. They were delivered here in a padded truck, padded ambulance. And she's in the basement here. And the husband is down there with her. And he said, if you don't mind, would you go down, nice friend? He says, would you go down and see this woman and just take a look at the situation? So the Brother Branham says, well, sure, I'll do that. He goes down and he's in the, in the basement of the church and he talks to the husband. And he says, he's a typical old Arkansas brother standing there with his overalls on, all washed out, faded. And he was listening at the sound system to what I had been saying or preaching in the service. He, Mr. Brown says, Pastor, he says, this is uh, the woman's husband. I'm glad to meet you, sir. He said, my wife's right over here. And he said he looked over and he saw this woman laying on the floor. There was a woman aged about 31, very strong, had big hands. And he said she was laying on her back with her legs straight up in the air and her hands straight up in the air. And I said, what's the matter with her? Well, Brother Manum, I just took, out, took her out of the insane institution up in Pineville, somewhere up there, and she's been insane two years. Brother Branham, I love her, and I got three or four little children at home. Now, this woman had experienced what Brother Branham describes. And I didn't put the whole story here. I just got two screens. But he said that she experienced or was diagnosed with what they referred to back then as premature menopause. And they had a shot. Their, their, uh, their technology and the, the, the therapy they had for things like that back then were, were kind of primitive. And so they gave her this injection and it triggered something in her and she just lost her mind. And she was like an animal on her back. So for two years, she didn't know her husband. She didn't call his name. She had no awareness of her surroundings or what she was doing. She was violent. Brother Branham describes how he had paid, this man had paid four men to try to get her into a vehicle to bring her to this service and put her in the basement. And he said in the process, she kicked out every window in the vehicle with her feet. And she was bleeding and scratched, and they were all bleeding and scratched. And it took four of the men to hold her, and then another person drove the vehicle, and they finally got her down to where this church was and, and got her in the place there. They couldn't do anything with her, but they did manage to get her into the place. And Brother Bram said demon power is way, way stronger than normal natural power. But this man's standing there, and he's talking to Brother Bram, and Brother Bram says, well, I'll go over and talk to her. But he said, hey, Brother Bram, don't do that. Don't go near her. Hey, Brother Branham says, it's okay. He says, you know, the Lord is with me. He said, don't do it, Brother Branham. Don't go. Brother Branham finally goes over. And this woman reaches up 
And in a split second, she kind of uh, takes Brother Branham and uh, slams, begins to slam him against the floor. And Brother Branham said, I kicked my foot out. And he said, it prevented me from going over on top of my head. And he describes the physical, uh, you know, encounter that he has with it. I mean, it's unbelievable what this woman is attempting to do to Brother Branham. And he said, in all of my years, I've never seen anything like this situation. In all of his years, he said, I've never seen anything like it. You come down to the end of the story. I said, I never seen anything like that in my life. She was crawling around, blood pouring out of her head. Pause. The reason she had blood pouring out of her head now is because she had taken something in her hand, threw it at the ceiling and knocked plaster out, and it cut her head and her husband's head, and they were both bleeding uh, there. So I said, lady, you threw that at your husband. And the man said, she don't know me. She hasn't known anyone for two years. And I said, isn't that a pity? And then she leveled herself up. And I said, do you believe, brother, that Jesus Christ, when I'm testifying about these angels and angels of God, do you believe that is the truth? And Brother Branham's talking, talking to the man. And Brother Branham said the tears running down his face, beard running down through his beard on his face. And he said to Brother Branham, I sold my farm. We gave her shock treatments. We gave her everything, everything I could do. I've tried to do, and there she is. I even sold my mules to get some money for these brothers to bring her down here. And he just put his arms around me, and I felt so sorry for the man. I could have wept it out. Do you want to know what love is? That's just under the love of God. Here's a man who sold a farm and sold a mule sold everything because he loves his wife. It would have been a very easy thing to, to discard her to the insane institution and let her live there the rest of her life. But he loves her enough. I'm willing to sell everything in order to get her somewhere where I believe God can minister to her. You know what that is? That's real love. That's a love that's willing to go all the way for this woman. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. In the Jewish Bible, it says each of you, however, should have should show Ahava, this is New Testament, for his Isha, the husband, as himself, even as Isha should reverence her Baal, which is the husband. Every one of you should have that kind of a reverence. If you go down to the last verse here, and this is the common Jewish Bible. However, the text also applies to each of you individually let each man love his wife as he does himself and see the wife respect her husband questions and answers brother branham i have accepted god's message of today and also our son and we both have been baptized in the name of the lord jesus christ my husband hasn't accepted the message and is fighting this message and he has influenced our son and has taken him to a methodist church he wants me to go with him to church when we're not in service here at the tabernacle, would it be right for me to go with him or would it be better to stay out of that denomination? That's the question that she's asking Brother Branham. Brother Branham's answer is is great. To me, his answer is great. Let's read what he said. Now, dear sister, go with your husband. Don't be partakers of what they're doing in the denominational sense. See, you're supposed to 
love your husband. And love is what does it. You just be real salty and he'll get thirsty if there's anything in him. Don't join their denomination. You said stay away from their denomination. Don't join it. Go to it. If you can get a whole loaf, if you can't get a whole loaf, get a half a loaf. And if you can't get a half, just get a slice. But that's the way you're going to win your husband. You notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, sister, you get your Bible out and you preach to him or you get the tape recorder out and you play these real real tapes and you make sure he hears. He said, don't be arrogant. Then he'll know he's got, then he'll know He's got just as much as you have. But when you can show him something that you have that he don't have, that'll make him thirst to be like you. Because a sanctified wife sanctifies the husband. That's just an advice. You know what that is? That's good advice. Because you know what? The vow that you have and the commitment that you have as a husband and wife it, it is there even when you disagree, even when he's got a, a, there's a divergence in the faith and he's going one way and she's going another way. And if there's a divergence in the house and he's got one priority and she's got another priority and you've got disagreements there. You know what? You're still married. Tie me to the mast. Put a soldier on guard with a spear to make sure I don't climb down off that mast. Make me like Ulysses and hold me right to that. Let me tell you, that mast is your, is your commitment, is your marriage vow. It's a certificate of marriage. It's a thing that holds you to it. And that commitment is the thing that's going to hold you there. Brother Bram is not telling her now to take a different approach here. But you know what? He's not even pushing them apart in any way at all. He's trying to keep them together no matter where they are. If you're in this church or that church, keep them together. And I'll tell you what, if you go to a man with a gentle answer like that and say, Honey, if we're not having service, I'll be glad to go with yours. Bound, he's bound to say some, at, at some point, well, you know what? Maybe if you come to our church, I appreciate that. Maybe I'll come along to your service and we'll sit in there together. The way you're going to win this guy is not through arrogance and it's not through looking down on him and feeling like you've got the spiritual edge on him. Uh, not at all. The way that you're going to win a, a spouse like that is to humble yourself. And to continue to love him even when you disagree. We're going to go the distance here because we're in this for life. And we're going to trust God somehow to bring us together. Your job is to make sure that nothing comes between you and your spouse like nothing comes between you and God. You can't put any human thing. You can't put any sport thing. You can't put any financial thing. You can't put anything in there between you and God. You can't put any sport thing between you and your wife. You can't put any financial thing between you and your wife. You can't put you and your job and your passion for overwork between you and your wife. You can't put uh, another woman between you and your wife. You can't put anything in between there because that's what God was trying to explain in Exodus when he talked about the first commandment. Look, I'm the God that brought you out. I'm the God that shows mercy to you. Don't have any other idols. Don't craft any other idols. I am the God that you worship. Don't put anything in between me and him. And when they tried to insert a golden calf, guess what God did? He reacted to that. Because you don't put anything. If it's a real love, you don't put anything between you and God. You don't put Isaac between you and God. Not even Isaac. Someone like Isaac, you don't put between you and God. It's, you and, it's, you, it's God first. He's the one I love the most. 
And what I'm trying to tell you is that between you and you want to have a better marriage, you make sure there's nothing comes between you and your wife in the same way that there's nothing between you and God. Let's stand to our feet. That's the way you'll win your husband, by doing that. That's absolutely the right way. That's the way it's going to happen. Don't be arrogant. Show them that you have something. By God's grace, it comes by being in the, in the hearing of the right thing, hearing in the right faith. And, and sh- show, them your, show them your heart. Show them your commitment. Show them your love. And I'll tell you what, that'll, that'll convince them. But you know what? It isn't the woman and her voice. It's God using that voice, Right? It wasn't Jonah in Nineveh. It was God using Jonah's voice in Nineveh, right? And you, you may not have the best argument. You may not have you know, all, all the smarts or anything else, but that's not what we're fighting with. We're, we're just putting, putting ourselves as a, offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God and say, Lord, just use this vessel. Use me to bring peace in my house. Use me to bring resolution here. Use me to bring closeness. Use me to restore this relationship again. And all you need to do is give yourself to God and you watch God bring that thing back together. Because it isn't you, it's God using you is, is the difference. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace. Let's sing it tonight. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise for it was grace (coughs) my liberty I do not know just why he came to love me so
significant about that is because the mules are the animals he would have plowed with. And so if you've got farmland and you don't plow it, you can't even feed your family, let alone make any revenue. And he sold the mules. In other words, there's no commodity or amount of money that's greater than my love for my wife. And he doesn't have much, but he's willing to sell it all in order to see that she gets help. Probably tried all kinds of remedies, probably tried all kinds of, uh, you know, solutions here. But now he's at a place where it's just between him and God. God somehow lays it on his heart, directs him, go to this meeting as a man there, you know, that prays for the sick. And he's willing to invest it all. My goodness, that's a love. That's a real love that a guy would have for his wife. What a beautiful thing. divine he couldn't help, a wife he couldn't do anything with, a wife who is completely and utterly out of control, but yet his love held that together until you moved on the scene. Lord, I just pray that you would just strengthen our families, families in our church, and the many people who are listening tonight, Lord, 
May, Father, you bless them and leave them with that assurance that even in the darkest of times, you're watching over our situations. Lord, may we have a great love for you and may we have an almost equal love for our spouse, one that's just tucked under the love of God. Father, may nothing come between us and you and may nothing come between us and our spouse, now or forever. And Father, if it has, I ask that you would forgive us. Lord, we know the real meaning, the real sense of what you wanted was that a couple would have an undying, faithful love towards one another, unconditional. May, Lord Jesus, you bless our families and our assembly here. Make us strong that we can be strong as the family of God. Minister to the sick, I pray. Lord, we think of Brother Tim. We think of Sister Karen tonight. Think of Brother Joel and all the others, Lord, that are hurting tonight. I commit them to you in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Bless the balance of our week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. And all God's people said, sing it as you go tonight. God bless you. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Spirit.